0: And welcome to another very exciting Civilizations in Review. We're here with another phenomenal content writer, Andrew Eady, as we talk about the Dilmun kingdom, a quite old uh, BCE kingdom, so get your history hats on. Um, before we begin, again, welcome all for tuning in with us on Facebook. We're also live, um, and we'll be sharing this to our Instagram, our LinkedIn, our uh, website, our Spotify, and obviously on YouTube, so you can engage with this content everywhere. I will also say that we will not talk about every single aspect of this great article, and so please go to the major website and read more about the Dil Moon. There are incredible sections here, um, a lot of great history and information, and of course all of the hyperlinks to even deepen your knowledge even more so. So Andrew, thank you so much for compiling this article and sharing your knowledge as the newest expert on the Dilmun kingdom. Um, and with me co-interviewing is Anna Campusano, another wonderful content writer. She wrote The Seljuk Empire, so if you're interested in that one, go check that out separately. But we'll dive into the Dilmun kingdom. Um, so let's start. Uh, Anna, if you don't mind reading the 101 word introduction, we will begin.
1: Sure, thank you so much. I'm so happy to have us here and have Andrew here and learn so much about Dilmun. Um, So just a little bit of background, the kingdom of Dilmun was an ancient civilization located in eastern Arabia that ruled from the late 4th millennium BCE until 530 BCE. It was founded in the Persian Gulf. The Dilmun kingdom controlled much of modern-day Bahrain, Kuwait, and parts of Saudi Arabia, Eastern Saudi Arabia, Interesting. like that's amazing. The kingdom of Dilmun is the best known for its role as an important commercial center which facilitated the trade of goods services and ideas between Mesopotamia and the Indus Valley civilization. The kingdom was so revered that its lands are thought to be the inspiration for the Sumerian creation myth and the garden of Eden, wow, that is something I did not expect, but I love that. And um, I guess I'm excited to learn more from you. Andrew, what can you tell us about this intro?
2: Yeah, um, I think that last sentence that you read uh, relating to Moon, maybe playing a part in the Sumerian creation myth, I think speaks a lot to um, how the civilization is remembered in history. There wasn't honestly a lot of um, sort of fact known about the civilization. A lot of it is sort of steeped in myth and in mystery. Um, Mesopotamia, the Assyrians all you know viewed this place. It's been found in writing in cuneiform tablets um, to be this place with no sickness, no aging, no death. Um, it was really seen as a paradise from a lot of uh, civilizations nearby, including the Indus Valley civilization as well. Um, and it played a really important role in the region, as he said, covering Um, what is now modern-day Bahrain, Kuwait, and uh, Eastern Saudi Arabia, um, by the Persian Gulf.
0: So interesting. Um, Not only the, you know, importance of Sumeria, um, and again, check that on our website, we have that one as well, Um, but that a whole other empire is the connection point of the Sumerian creation myth. I think that's so interesting of the connections, the trade, the relationships, Again, you know, this was 3000 plus years ago to, to have those uh, in place and still well alive today. Super fascinating. Definitely want to talk more about Eden. But I, I'm, I'm going to take a step back uh, more holistically and say, what made you choose the moon of all of the uh, available empires at the time? I'm curious always on why our writers chose the empires they did.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I think geography had a large part to do with it. Um, you know, we just talked about sort of the regions that uh, the Del moon civilization covered. And today, those are really geopolitically relevant countries um, that have a really important role to play in sort of the dynamics of the Middle East. And I think specifically when we think about some of those countries, countries like Kuwait or Bahrain, you know, today, I think they're typically viewed as, um, at least within the context of the Middle East, to be somewhat diplomatic um, and, you know, uh, sort of facilitating conversations and um, politics in the region. And that's sort of the same role that the Moon civilization played you know, all the way back in the third and fourth millennia um, BCE, to helping to facilitate trade and working to um, you know sort of ease relationships between a lot of the civilizations in the region. So, so it was, I think it was interesting to have that role um, sort of persist throughout you know thousands of years, and I wanted to learn more about um, that region and that civilization mostly for that reason.
1: Wow, yeah, that's wonderful. I mean, I think that's the only way that we can kind of start to know what happened in each area just to, you know, dive into the region right away, what empires they had and what sort of uh, cultural behavior it's kind of like, you know, um, inspired by today. Um, And as I was reading about the inception, which you mentioned slightly a little bit about trade, I was, you know, curious to find out more about how this like diplomatic, you know, relationship came with the moon. I mean, I, I'm in diplomacy myself and I, I think that, you know, the first steps to that is usually trade, but, you know, what more can you say about this and how did you find that, you know, that relates to, you know, a world today in government systems?
2: Yeah. So the domain civilization was a key trading partner between Mesopotamia, um, which you can think of as modern days, sort of Syria and Iraq um, and the Indus Valley. So around India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan. Um, and they did that through um, the sort of, uh, through Oman and then into the, uh, the Persian Gulf, where um, copper um, and other precious metals would often be traded for textiles and more ag- agriculturally based uh, commodities. Um, and we know how far they traded as well, because there were specific um, stamps that were used on goods um, traveling through trade that were found as far as um, China in some cases. And so we know that their goods, um, goods coming at least from the ports of the Dominion civilization, were traveling far and wide. Um, and so, just for that reason, you know, being a hub where people of all different cultures and um, backgrounds and civilizations were coming together without sort of conflict, without war breaking out in the region, but just for the purpose of trading and sharing ideas and goods, um, I think speaks to the role that they played in that region. Unfortunately, they were eventually conquered and um, other civilizations came in that were more technologically advanced. Um, and they made sort of the role that the Moon played. Uh, as far as trading, um, a bit redundant, um, and that sort of appears going into um, you know the third and fourth centuries BCE um, as 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 they start to decline.
0: So fascinating, the the way that you're you're sort of piecemealing these pieces of history, so so fascinating to me because it it showcases the interconnections that, again, 3000 years ago had with all these other empires. Yes, Moon maybe didn't last as long as some of the other um, ancient ancient empires did, but still the, the overlays are crucial. I think what's also interesting is there's very few Gulf empires. I think that's probably the best way to say it or in the modern Persian Gulf countries, um, like specifically bordering the water, which fascinates me as well, because water is such a crucial resource in every single empire and to not have a lot of, of empires in that region or you know the extent of an empire like just contained in that region, I think makes Dilmun really, really special. I was curious in your reading or anything, if anything else popped up that made the Dilmun special because they're really just in the Persian Gulf area.
2: Yeah, um, I think one thing that is definitely special about the Dilmun civilization um, was a tradition that was uncovered um, when people started to notice these, these mounds in, in modern day Bahrain um, you know, some is, you know, over 100,000, over 150,000 of these mounds um, that could get quite big um, and people were wondering what they were. And then they ended up being found uh, to be burial mounds. This was a tradition that the Dilmun participated in. Um, and, you know, now they're a UNESCO World Heritage Site and they're very sort of well-respected and well-known. Um, and just for those who don't know, that basically means that it's a landmark that has certain legal protections um, provided by United um, I think it's the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organizations uh, Group. Um, but yeah, there are all these mounds, and so some of them would be really big, and those were for the royals that had died, and others were smaller, and those were for uh, more of the everyday person. Um, and this, you know, were made, we now know, between 2200 and 1750 BC, uh, BCE. Um, and they really only appear on Bahrain's mainland, not on the um, sort of island, which is also interesting. Um, it might have been tough to sort of get the materials over there that they were using for these at the time, um, but I think that uh, that sort of speaks to um, sort of the mystery around the moon still. That you know we didn't know what these mounds were, and that there were sort of um, these these interesting phenomena that were popping up until you know we learned more. Um, but yeah, I think that's something that's really sort of special about the about the region. Um, and now actually they've become relevant again because sort of in Bahrainian politics, people are concerned that um you know these mounds are being threatened by new real estate and infrastructure being built. And so um there's some conversation around sort of land usage and land rights and how do we sort of respect this what's now a world heritage site, but also keep developing the region. Um so I think it'll be an interesting sort of um. Conflict to follow,
1: tension to follow. Wow, that was that was awesome. I think that you know the way that you're putting together how it relates from the past and the influence that it has today, but at the same time, it's sort of like reawakening in a way where everybody, I mean, something that all of us care about, which is world heritage sites and what influence does this sort of have in um, you know like the structure today? I mean when you think about these places, you know, you're like, you want to preserve them, you want to make sure that they stay intact, and that it attaches this historical perspective to it. So that was, you know, absolutely incredible. I, I would have never thought that. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I it ha- I'm thinking, like, you know, it was such a uh, dynamic sort of uh, kingdom, and, and, you know, uh, big in, in a way, like, what would you say that were their main, like, uh, reasons for, you um, decline or that sort of thing. I mean, I, I was reading that sort of, uh, they didn't quite have like a lot of allies or rivals. So, you know, how do you think that that played a role into one, how big they were and to you know how they sort of ended with this um, idea at the end that, you know, it still kind of pre-lives today.
2: Yeah, so, you know, as we've talked about the Domain had a fairly um, diplomatic peaceful relationship with all the other civilizations in the region um, at their inception. And I think that they rested too much on their laurels, in a sense, and they never really developed a strong military or strong walls or defenses. Um, they sort of just relied on be, playing that role as um, the facilitator of, of trade and of um, the marketplace of ideas, and that you know lasted for a long time. But eventually, as you know, civilizations developed, and new uh, actors came into the picture. Um, you know, we see around around that time that the burial mound stopped being um, built, there were dynasties that would come in and exact tribute. Um, you know, we see that from uh, cuneiform tablets from accountants in the Domun civilization that sort of write about uh, outflows of money. Um, you know, we start to see infrastructure declining, temples crumbling, um, lack of usage of certain facilities. Uh, and so they start to decline then. Um, around 1500, um, uh, Assyrians come in and they uh, conquer Moon. Um, and they conquer it in more of a sort of with more admiration than sort of malice. And I think they're they're um, sort of taking over the moon um, more to sort of preserve it. Uh, but then unfortunately, the Assyrians are conquered around 1220 in that region. Um, and actually, the person that conquered them, his name was Tukulti Ninurta I. Um, he was the first one to use the title King of Kings, which I thought was interesting. Um, but he reigned there from 1243 to 1207. Um, and then at that time, again, technology is developing, piracy is becoming more rampant on, on the open seas in the Persian Gulf, um, and the region's just commercial viability fell significantly. Um, and then finally, um, the Achaemenid empire comes in, the first Persian empire, um, and that's sort of a whole new chapter in history then. They end up conquering Turkey, Iraq, Iran, a lot of land. Um, and then we get into you know, the time of the Greeks, and um, really, honestly, that region doesn't see much economic um, real prosperity until sort of the early 20th century um, with the discovery of oil in the region. Um, so it's sort of a, a more quiet period for that region after that.
0: You just gave like about a thousand years of history in just those two minutes of you speaking. <laughs> That's absolutely. Wow. That's right. It's very cursory. Hey, still to, to explain and showcase and every single empire you name drop is also in our civilizations list. So right. you can follow that uh, historical piece throughout. Some of those are also hyperlinked in uh, the Moon article directly. Wow. I mean, <laughs> my goodness, how there's so many ways we can go with this now, because you just give so, so much of a, what happened after the Moon, what was its impact on future empires, so, wow, incredible. I think the piece I want to specifically focus on, um, although there are very many, and just keep chatting, Andrew, I love the way that you are showcasing and uh, talking about history here, is actually the image itself um, for the Dill Moon Empire. It's the bull head. Um, if you'll see it, it's like a giant um, like brass, it looks like, but probably different material given it's so ancient bull with two very large horns. Um, and, and when we were you know, finding the image to represent the empire, um, ironically enough, and maybe another modern influence has popped up on the Bahrainian Embassy's Twitter page <laughs> showcasing this ancient bull, which is the like not logo but uh, uh, centerpiece of the Bank of Bahrain. So I mean, just that alone as a sentence is a really fascinating way of Bahrain uh, owning this inco- and really incredible part of the history but also that bullhead was probably a religious icon, which is super fascinating, given that Bahrain doesn't practice that religion anymore. We can get on this whole rabbit hole, or I guess bull hole to be more accurate here. But I just think it's really interesting, the uh, continual reverence for the Dilmun empire in Bahrainian society specifically, the political aspect that you mentioned of the burial mounds and and real estate and and building um, a large bank utilizing this iconic uh, artifact um in its own history and it's interesting because I don't think very many other modern Middle Eastern or Southwest Asian countries showcase their ancient empires as much maybe because they had so many which one do they choose but the moon is really a big part of Bahrainian identity today it seems that way I don't know if you want to talk more about it I just thought it was an interesting fact that I wanted to share um yeah but if you have another reaction I would love to hear it
2: yeah, um, I mean, so you mentioned, you know, the bullhead. I think the bullhead is made out of copper. Copper is one of the most important exports coming out of Domun at you know, their peak. Um, and that was something that was hard to find. It actually wasn't from Del moon It was often coming from Mesopotamia down through Domun and then out to the Indus Valley um, in, in exchange for, um, you know, textiles and other goods from the Indus Valley civilization. Um, and I think, you know, the bullhead might have um, you know, such a significant amount of sort of symbolism for the civilization. One because you know, as we just mentioned, the importance of copper and how um, valuable that was in trade at the time. But also, I think um, there was some technological sophistication to making you know a sort of mask, a sort of bullhead like that. Um, that sort of spoke to the artisanship in in the moon and um, you know the different cultures coming together and what can um, sort of come of that. So I think that also. Um, yeah, sort of fuels the the importance of that of that image, um, and especially just because there's not much else that we have to sort of um, point to the dull moon in terms of um, artifacts. We have the mounds and you know a few other things, but there's still a lot of debate honestly going on about um, the region and the role that it played and who even the rulers were. There's not a lot of knowledge about that, so um, having any sort of thing to point to, any sort of mooring to the civilization, I think is useful.
1: Do you think that that was kind of like a hard part in like your research, the fact that, you know, maybe there was a lot of information, but there wasn't a lot of like, you know, influence of what like it would have looked like today or what it even looked like. Cause like, for me, for example, when I wrote about Seljuk, I mean, I could have picked like a thousand images and like there were even like in the modern influences Uh, section there were even um artwork and like jewelry and things that you know we could showcase today um sort of to like divert like have that influence that where you know artistically and um you know they like you spoke about trade and I mean there was copper and there was a lot of different um materials that could have been used for you know the architecture and the buildings and stuff so was that like a you know sort of like a point where you were just kind of like, I can't find more here. Or, you know, how did that go?
2: Yeah, I always find that the exercise of history is made easier when you have like narrative, like a story to follow. Um, And it was tough to piece that story together with the moon because there wasn't a clear timeline. Um, It's sort of very defined characters. So I think in that sense, it was a bit difficult To sort of put the pieces together and understand what the civilization was and why it was important um, at the time and you know still today. But I think at the same time, you know, not it's almost like the paradox of choice when you have so much information it can be tough to you know distill it and figure out what's most important and relevant. Um, So I think you know only having a few sources to go by and um, you know a few people to think about uh, made some things easier as well. So I think it was a bit of both. Um, But yeah, I think it. People are still doing research on the Dilmun. Um, there's still information coming out, especially as now there's more conversation around the burial mounds, just about that time period. Um, so I think that, and also I mean, their capital was um, in the north of Bahrain, um, like right by the water, and that's still sort of a very relevant um, area. So I don't know. I think there's gonna be more that comes out about the civilization, you know, in the future from scholars, from archaeologists, and Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how
0: that sort of changes the the story of the civilization. Fascinating. And as our resident Dilmun expert, uh, we'll definitely defer to you for a future article, maybe. (laughs) Yeah, keep everybody posted. I think that's so fascinating because, you know, this empire 3000 years ago and is impacting modern Bahrainian politics today. Not many other Mesopotamian empires have as clearly a link. And again, that's maybe because very few empires made it to Bahrain or conquered it or, you know, all of the reasons that could be out there are abounding. But the fact still that this one has this very strong link. Um, I, I know several other writers have, you know, done the research and we're excited to share. But, you know, the, those 100 years of history happened and then the next empire came along. But it seems Dilmun really yeah. has a resonance in Bahrain, given and the it research. It
2: speaks to the importance of, like, creating things you know, for legacy building. You think about like the pyramids in Egypt or the Great Wall of China, like, you know, civilizations that build these physical monuments, you know, it makes it easier for them to be remembered, even if, you know, their story is somewhat muddled in history, I think. Um, you know, maybe it's, uh, I don't know, maybe there's some lessons to be learned there, I don't know, but I just think it's interesting. Um, and especially like you wouldn't think pyramids and great walls they seem very sort of grand but these were burial mounts and they're still um you know they still persisted you know they were made well and they've lived to today so it's just yeah i think they're very interesting there's something interesting about civilizations
1: i a lot of times when i when i see these places when i think about them you know i'm like it's incredible the way that you know they're able to uh, still be relevant today and we can see them and we can experience them so that's that's something fascinating and I think that you did a great job in kind of piecing together the most important parts of you know the Dilmun um, kingdom in itself even with you know as you said that it was sort of like the information was like here and there, um, but you did a good job. I think that, you know, piecing like the most important parts and how it's relevant, how, you know, um, we can like enrich ourselves from, from it. So, you know, sure. I mean, if there's anything else that you'd like to share, any other like key points, I, I know that there's some like, some key accomplishments there um, and you know, that there's a lot of like, maybe like not too much relationship with like other empires, which is so, so, um, you know, fascinating to me because a lot of times I think that an empire grows through the behavior and sort of the pattern that a previous one had so the del moon is kind of unique in that way. So if there's anything else that you'd like to bring up, please. I would love learning more.
2: Yeah, um, I guess a couple things, you know, aside from copper, um, there are a lot of sort of interesting goods that were traded through the moon um, during its peak, including like wood and dairy. Um, gold, ivory, tin, um, a lot of things. And so um, I just always think it's interesting to see how those, you know, just the idea of like um, sort of a like competitive advantage in like economics 101, you know, there's these things that, you know, the Mesopotamians could um, easily come by that it made sense for them to trade, you know, all the way to the Indus Valley, over to Asia, um, you know, just that sort of cha- uh, exchange of goods, I always think is interesting. Um, and then also, once the Greeks came into the picture, that main island of Bahrain um, became known as Tylos in sort of Greek literature and Greek writings. And so um, it's interesting to think about how, and there's a lot of mystery on the Moon because maybe people are searching for Moon um, in the ancient sort of Semitic languages, but uh, you know, just references can change over time. The names people use for places can change over time and how that sort of makes it even tougher to piece the narratives together when things are going by different names and um, different cultures are viewed differently. It's, it makes history very challenging, but it's also part of the fun of um, looking back and trying to piece it all together.
0: You should be an archeologist if you're not already, Andrew. That is, <laughs> what, what a beautiful thesis of uh, the, that field. Uh, yeah, uh, this is exactly why we have civilizations in review is to showcase that story if the names do change or pieces are important or Bahrainian politics are uh, related to burial mounds from 3000 years prior, and everything in between that's exactly what this place is for so my goodness, thank you for educating our global community, writing this powerhouse article sharing your knowledge with us. Um, we have only a few minutes left so a- any final pieces you'd like to share about the moon would love to hear it
2: um maybe not about the moon but i just encourage people to write other civilizations 101s. um i think the process of learning is a lot of fun feeling like you think you understand something and then you know coming to find minutes later that you really have no idea what's going on it's it's a good time going down rabbit holes making connections so i encourage people to do so um had a good time doing it
1: Andrew you are a gem to be honest and if you're not like, like Ben said if you're not an archaeologist yet I think that you have like are mo- motivating a lot of people I mean everyone wants to say oh it's obsolete there's nothing there but the truth is like there's so much to find out even just about this empire even with all the information that you have there's so much yeah. more that we could know and and you know it, it leaves room for that for that excitement for a lot of people so definitely thank you for that. That. and thank you for leaving that sort of you know like insight at the end it's like you know there's a lot of information there's a lot that you can know but at the same time there's always more and and you know that that excites me and everyone else that loves to learn and about these things so yeah
0: incredible well thank you andrew for writing this and telling more people to join our community we love that um and thank you all listeners for tuning in there's even more great pieces of the dome moon that andrew has written so please go check it out at alfusaic.net that's a-l- fusaic.net. Thanks all so much. Have a good rest of your evening. Bye bye.